According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in uh, Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, we're ready to look at verses 20 through 24. Proverbs 16, verses 20 through 24. And uh, these are verses that deal with uh, communication. They deal with how we speak to one another, how we, uh, uh, we have sweet words, how we bless one another in, uh, in the uh, ex- uh, communication of wisdom. That not only does wisdom transform what we are and who we are, but it then from our thinking through our words then becomes an instrument of God's grace in ministering to uh, fellow believers in, uh, in the Word of God. So uh, we've got these verses here. Verse 20 introduces it, and then 21, 22, 23, 24 form a poetic unit in, uh, in the, uh, the structure of the Hebrew there. So we'll try to explain those things as we work our way through. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father for His, uh, His hand of blessing. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your truth, thankful for the blessings we have to assemble together and receive instruction. Father, I do thank you for the book of Proverbs. I thank you for the wisdom that's contained. I thank you for the uh, the simplicity. These verses practically teach them themselves, Father, when it comes right down to it. They, uh, they lay out the universal principles and we're delighted to, uh, to learn them, to apply them, to... Uh, to make them real to each one of us. So I thank you, Father, for being faithful. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. I'm tempted to ask everyone to move four rows forward. (laughs) Only two people are not able to move four rows forward this morning. But that's okay. All right, Proverbs 16. He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. That's the verse that introduces this, uh, this section that uh, introduces the communication blessings that we have in the Word of God. So he who gives attention to the Word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. It's the walk of faith. Verse 21, the wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Okay, and that takes us to the bottom of this this section. And so you'll notice that uh, many of the verses here that do speak to communication, they do speak to the universal nature of it, to any believer that's growing in the Word of God, any believer that's acquiring the wisdom, uh, the wise in heart will be called understanding, and who does that exclude? That, could, that includes every believer, every believer that's growing in the Word of God. We're not limiting this passage or this context to pastors or evangelists or ministers. Any believer that's growing in the Word of God that's paying attention to the Word of God is going to be successful in his Christian walk. And one of the first things we're going to look at here in verse 20 is the idea of success, the idea of giving attention to the Word and being diligent in our insight. And this is what God provides. And God provides it for any believer. 
when we see the psalmist in Psalm 119 that he is he has insight about uh, more so than any of his elders. And uh, that's going to be hopefully an encouragement for any one of us when it comes to being in a Bible church and being grounded in the Word of God and being used by God as His instrument to uh, to encourage others. So the wise in heart will be called understanding. And so there's a recognition one to another that believers have as we fellowship amongst ourselves, as we encourage one another. It becomes very clear who in our assembly, who in our midst is wise and understanding, whose soul is saturated by the Word of God, who uh, who do we turn to for prayer, who do we turn to for encouragement, and uh, and uh, and so forth. Sweetness of speech increases his persuasiveness. All right, so uh, we're ready now for point six in the outline. Really, this is a description of the faith rest life. The faith rest life focused on the Word of God is a persuasive life of communicated blessings or communicated happiness. The faith rest life focused on the Word of God is a persuasive life of communicated and I'm going to change it right now from blessings to happiness. And we'll have to talk about the difference between blessings and blessings in terms of God's bestowed blessings and our uh, experienced subjective happiness, because that's what we're dealing with here. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. So we're dealing with a faith rest life. Uh, In verse 20, there's the A part and the B part giving attention to the Word of God. This is uh, not the casual Christian. This is someone that's diligent. This is someone that is, uh, as Second Timothy says, diligent to present themselves approved to God, workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. This is somebody that is um, paying attention to detail, focused on the, uh, on the particulars of every, every jot and tittle of the Word of God, giving attention to the Word. And what do you find the closer you look? I love this. This is, this is uh, unique. I think this is uh, a part of what makes God who God is in that everything He does is perfect and everything He reveals is perfect. And the closer you look at it, you don't find the blemishes, you find even more beauty the closer you look at it, see. Whereas opposed to um, anything man-made, <laughs> anything in the human experience, uh, the closer you look at it, you start to spot the flaws. You start to spot the, uh, you know, you can have the most beautiful woman in the world, the most beautiful supermodel in the world, and you look at that those skin cells under a microscope, and what do you see? <laughs> wow, you know, and any human's skin cells, when you, when you start looking at it under the microscope, you start to see all these things. Well, with the Word of God, the deeper we dig, the more beautiful it gets. With the truth of God's provision, you can't look close enough. There's nothing we're afraid of in any Greek text, any Hebrew text, any manuscript, because the closer we look, He withstands the scrutiny, He welcomes the scrutiny. And so I appreciate that. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. And this is, of course, the ongoing walk of faith. The Hebrew for, for trust is, is what we would expect related to believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. But then beyond that, believing in the Word of God for our experiential sanctification. That we're walking by faith, not by sight. It is the ongoing walk of faith that's spoken of here. Not necessarily getting saved, although you could include that, I guess. Folks are happy to be saved. But happy to be walking in the Word of God, walking by faith, trusting in the Lord, and uh, uh, dealing with the Christian walk on that basis. And then we get to communicate it. 
Then we get to communicate it. Then we get persuasive words. Then we get the fountain of life. Then we get to communicate. You see, when it comes to that, we become the channel through which God communicates in, uh, in this regard. And so this is how I described it as a heading. We're focused on the Word of God and we have a persuasive life. We persuade others through our joy that uh, the Word of God provides. All right. And so looking at this here, giving attention to the Word of God. Giving attention to the Word of God. This is a verb of insight and it's a verb of success. And we've looked at it before. Sakal, we had it way back in Proverbs 3, so it's been a while. We had it again in Proverbs 12, so again it's been a while. Um, It's a verb of, of insight it's a verb of success. And, uh, and I want to stress this again here this morning and kind of refresh what we do with uh, our priorities in the Word of God. So the Hebrew verb is sakal, S-A-K-A-L. Number 7919, if you want to put the Strong's number down, 60 uses in the Old Testament. So that's uh, a fair number there. Starting in Joshua 1, we'll take a look at these. I want us to understand what this is, all right? Because it's our insight in the Word of God that provides success. But the Word itself is used in both ways. It's used to have insight. It's used to have success. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us. It's really another word for wisdom, similar to chachma, uh, the, the wisdom of the Word of God that is skill, wisdom. But in particular, it's insight. And the, the neat thing about insight, it's like when the light bulb comes on, okay? When the light bulb comes on. So uh, I'm learning the Word of God, you're learning the Word of God, the Word of God has wisdom in, uh, in, in all of its verses and all of its applications. But then when you have your personal subjective light bulb aha moment, okay? When it just, when it clicks and you go, oh, that's how I'm supposed to use that. And when you have that personal subjective insight, that is uh, the focus of Sakhel uh, in contrast to Chachma or other terms of wisdom that we might have here in the book of Proverbs. So that's the verb, number 7919. And uh, related to that is the noun, Sakel, S-E-K-E-L. Just change your A's to E's and you end up with your segalit noun here, Sakel, number 7922. And there's 16 more uses there. Very common in Hebrew. And sometimes you'll even have the tandem of the verb and the noun used together where you will have insight uh, uh, with your insight. But that uh, we'll spot that if we come up with any of those. And then a compound noun where you put an M in front of suckle, you have a maskeel. And the maskeels are particular forms of, of uh, psalms that are skillful psalms, insightful psalms. They're psalms, I think, they're psalms that give you that aha moment. There's psalms that David and other psalmists would write when they would have that kind of uh, aha moment of insight or success in the Christian walk. And so usually they're given in the headers of uh, quite a few of these, however many that is, Psalm 32, Psalm 42, 44, 45, 52, 53, 54, 55, 74, 78, so that's 10 of them, 88, 89, and 142. So there's 13 um, psalms in the book of Psalms that are called maskeels. And uh, they'll be listed as such in the heading of that psalm. Only once is, uh, is maskil used within the body of a psalm, and that's found in Psalm 47.7. So we can grab that one real quickly. And then uh, we'll start looking at these terms for insight or skill. 
47.7, or success. Sometimes it's rendered as a success or the verb to succeed. Psalm 47, even though in the heading it doesn't have it as a heading like you would have with uh, 42, 44, and 45. You know, you notice Psalm 45, it says, for the choir director, according to Shoshanim, a maskil of the sons of Korah, a song of love. And so there it's in the heading of, uh, of Psalm 45. Remember those headings are part of the, the uh, inspired canon. They're in the Hebrew manuscripts. But in Psalm 47, 7, it says, for God is king of all the earth, Sing praises with a skillful psalm. Sing praises with a maskeel. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. And uh, this is uh, maybe the only thing that keeps us sane when we're watching the politics of our current generation and we wonder, what in the world is going on? Well, sing skillful praises to God because He knows what He's doing. And uh, we just can walk by faith and trust that day by day uh, he's got his hand on all of this. All right. I don't know uh, how much time we're going to have and, and probably won't take the time to read 13 different psalms for you. I just encourage you, if you want, just jot those verses down, jot those psalms down. 32, 42, 44, 45, 52, 53, 54, 55, 74, 78, 88, 89, and 142. Uh, now that I've recited them out twice, they're recorded on the mp3 and you can play them over and over again uh, but those are the psalms that are all called mesquiles and those are uh, well worth spending some time with let's back up though to the verb and let's deal with success to have insight to have success to succeed because this is what we're called to do in the scriptures again Pro- uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty says he who gives attention to the word will find good he who saw cow He who sockhows the Word of God. We want to sockhow the Word of God. And that's what we're doing today. We're giving attention to the Word of God today. And when we give attention to the Word of God, what are we going to find? What are we going to find? It may not be what we think we're going to find. (laughs) It may not be what we wanted to find. But it's going to be good, what we do find. Because the Lord's going to lead us to that. It's going to be the good that we need at uh, this particular moment in our Christian walk. All right, Joshua chapter 1. Let's take a look at some of these and you'll see how it comes together in the usage on this. Joshua chapter 1. To me, uh, this is a fun verb. All right, Joshua judges Ruth. Joshua chapter 1. Remember this is uh, the transition from Moses to Joshua and you talk about having big shoes to fill and all the pressure when, uh, when Moses passes away and now it's left to Joshua to take the, uh, Israel into the promised land. And uh, the Lord's encouraging him in this. So it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to uh, them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
all the land of the Hittites as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. This is the Abrahamic land grant as given in Genesis. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So that's the encouragement that the Lord gives. Now notice, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do uh, according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success. That's our term. You may have success wherever you go. And we can render it as insight. We can render it as success. We could render it as give attention to. So as he's humble before the Lord, as he's obedient to the Lord, there is the promise here, you will have success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. That's not a casual Christian. That's not a casual believer that just, you know, uh, goes to church once a month or whenever he feels guilty or Christmas and Easter kind of thing or, or you know, kind of ignores the Bible until, you know, his life's a wreck and he figures, well, maybe there's, there's some helpful hints in there. Um, no, this is a believer that's focused on the Word of God, meditating on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will sakau, then you will have success. And so I love this. Uh, you know, we could, uh, we could put an ad in the paper and advertise to the city of Austin uh, the, the secret to life success, you know. And, uh, you know, and there's people that are paying, you know, top dollar to go to these seminars, you know, to have success in life. And it's right here. Spend your life in the Word of God. Focus on the Word of God. Live your life and, and God will give the success. And it may not be the way the, the world defines it, and it may not be the way uh, you expect, but this is, uh, this is what it's about. So we can appreciate that. All right, First Samuel 18. Our next use for this. I hope I'm giving you a sufficient sampling on this. It's not, uh, you know, we're not going to look at all 60 uses, but I think these ones here are uh, representative and useful for us for illustrating the point that we're, that uh, Proverbs 16 is making. What do you think of when you think of 1 Samuel 18? Anything? All right. Well, <clears throat> Goliath dies in chapter 17, and then we get consequences. <laughs> and the consequences are David uh, and Jonathan are closer than ever before because they have a fellowship in the Word of God and they have a like-mindedness in doctrine. Uh, but Saul, uh, now Saul wants David dead, so there's a consequence. <laughs> Other things there. David's going to become Saul's son-in-law. But related to 1 Samuel 18, we look down to these verses here, verse 5, verse 14, verse 15. Um, and this is the, uh, the new position that he has in the administration. So um, he kills Goliath and he gets a job. <laughs> so it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. 
And this is a godly love uh, between two mature believers that uh, were powerful in the Word of God in, uh, in this. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And this is the, the mature love of two believers with doctrine. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. All right? Now remember, Jonathan is the crown prince. Jonathan is the heir of Saul. But he's not the heir to the throne because he understands that David is the anointed king, that Samuel has anointed David. David will be the next king. That uh, the kingdom is being ripped away from Saul and given to a man better than Saul. And Jonathan's cool with that. He's great with that. He has no pride. He has no arrogance. Uh, he's, he has no uh, issues there related to that. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. He went out and sockowled everywhere that Saul sent him. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Everybody thought this was great except King Saul. <laughs> all right? And so here it is again. It's the success it's the prospering. It's the insight. And, uh, and everything he did worked out. You know, that's the kind of guy you want to have leading your armies. That's the kind of general you want to have over your troops. That's the kind of, yeah, and all of this is preparing David to be the heir. And if Saul was humble, he would accept this and rejoice in this as God's grace provision. But of course, he doesn't. Because uh, they come back in verse 6. David returned from killing the Philistine. The women came out uh, of all the cities singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. The problem with the song, though, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That, uh, to the carnal mind, that's bad news. All right? That's, uh, that's, that's not something to sing about. So Saul became very angry and the saying displeased him. So uh, that's what we have described there. Verse 14, verse 15, David was prospering in all his ways for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. So this is our term. So when you think about success, when you think about prospering, when you think about uh, everything in life that, uh, you know, the, when the pressure's on for, for whatever in, uh, in terms of the money you're making or, or your accomplishments or whatever it is, Remember, this whole thing about prospering and success has to be according to God's standard. And the first thing you've got to prosper in is the Word of God. The first thing you've got to prosper in is doctrine. Okay, So when we're back in Proverbs 16.20 and we're looking at giving attention to the Word of God, just consider that, well, maybe having success in the Word of God is another valid way to translate that. Prospering in the Word of God is another valid way to, trans to translate that. That we want to prosper in doctrine. Because if we're not prospering in doctrine, who cares if we're prospering in business or, or uh, uh, you know, financially or politically or, or whatever other way those things get, uh, they get measured. 1 Kings 2 and verse David's time to die drew near. He charged Solomon his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep, char keep the charge of the Lord your God, 
to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, His testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Solomon, are you going to be a successful king? What's your orientation to the Word of God? That's, that's the criteria right there. And that's the, uh, the, uh, really the, the benchmark for success versus failure. And uh, we, we talk about this, I, I put this in my wedding ceremonies, telling this man before he takes this woman, you're going to be a successful, successful husband, here's how you're going to do it. Because if you don't live in the Word of God, you're going to be a failure. Your success or your failure as a husband, I tell the wife the same thing, your success or your failure as a wife. And, uh, and they get that in their, in their wedding service as they're standing there before they can say their I will and put on their rings and kiss and you know, all the other stuff that happens after that. But it's, it's the standard of the Word of God. That's the standard of success. 2 Kings 18.7 Here's Hezekiah, probably the best king behind David or after David. The number two greatest king ever in the history of the Davidic throne was Hezekiah. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. Yet, or and, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and his territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. And it goes on to describe his accomplishments there. What was it that made Hezekiah so great? Well, unlike his father, <laughs> unlike uh, uh, other kings, wicked kings in the line of Judah. He paid attention to the Word of God. He restored uh, different aspects of, of worship in the temple. He actually uh, compiled many of Solomon's Proverbs and, and added to the canon of Scripture with a whole collection of Solomon Proverbs that were not in the book of Proverbs until the days of Hezekiah. And uh, the success that came there. Nehemiah 8.3 So, of course, Ezra and Nehemiah are bringing Israel back to the land after their Babylonian captivity. And all the people gathered as one man. This is Nehemiah 8.1. All the people gathered as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which is in front of the uh, water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. All the people were attentive to the book of the law. And so Ezra the scribe stood, and let's get down through the rest of this, because there's a lot of names I can't pronounce. (laughs) And uh, all right. Down to verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of the people, the priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that day that they might gain insight into the words of the law. Well, why are we doing this again? Didn't we just do this yesterday? Why are we doing this day after day? What is this about? That they may gain insight into the words of the law. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Oh, look at that. 
You see, when you study the Word of God, you learn stuff. <laughs> you gain insight and you go, oh, wait a minute. We're, uh, we're falling short here. Okay, We need to uh, adjust what we're doing. How about that? We're supposed to live in booths during the Feast of the Seventh Month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And this I think is just marvelous. This is a pattern. If you're studying to show yourself approved, if you're studying to gain insight and then the Lord spotlights something and you go, oh, why am I not doing that? I should be doing that. And you find, uh, and you may find other brothers in the, in the congregation that say, yeah, I, I want to do that too. And you learn that the Word of God shapes your life. The Word of God shapes uh, how you live. That's a positive thing. Uh, let's go to Psalm 119. Let's see, there was one more thing I wanted to see here in um, Nehemiah 8. They made the booths, the entire assembly. They made booths, they lived in them. Because the sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law daily, from the first to the last day. And they celebrated the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to to the ordinance. All right. Would that uh, our nation would have a revival like that where Americans would get serious about the Word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 99. Verse 97, this is in the Mame strophe of uh, Psalm 119. How I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. And so you have Chachma wisdom in verse 98. You have Sokal wisdom in verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. So there's Chachma, there's Sokal, there's uh, Bean or Bana that we have here with understanding marvelous success. And uh, and think about it, the uh, the intimacy you have with the Lord, the, the success that He gives, the um, the insight that comes, if it's, uh, in fact, talking to Pastor Tim Hankins yesterday, he, uh, he was discussing something with his father related to a, a passage of Scripture. When the conversation was over, his uh, eight-year-old came up to him and said, Dad, what about this verse? And uh, had a verse that he'd been learning in Sunday school, a verse or a wana or something. And he memorized the verse, and the eight-year-old had a contribution to the discussion that Pastor Hankins was having with his eighty-year-old father. You know, I love it. That's just marvelous. That's the insight that comes, the the uh, sokal that's given, and even to a child that's learning the word of God. Why? Why do we expect that they're not going to have those kind of insights? They're going to have more than we are because they're more humble than we are. They're going to have all kinds of insights in, uh, in the Word of God. So I can appreciate that. Isaiah 52.13 What do you think of when you think of Isaiah 52? Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 and the, the servant of Yahweh here that is Prophecies of the coming Christ. (coughs) 
Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant will sakal. My servant will prosper. Why will he prosper? Why will the Messiah prosper? Because he's in the Word of God. He's saturated with the Word of God. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And uh, describes this, just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. You talk about the torture and the suffering and the disfigurement, what he went through, and then he still went to the cross anyway. How about that? Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. But here's the success of Jesus Christ, and here's the the prophecy of Jesus Christ and his success before the kenosis, before God became, became flesh, before he came to this earth to do what he did, God had prophesied that the success was going to be there. He would have the Sakhel. Daniel. This last are in the book of Daniel. And this is noteworthy, I think, eschatologically, but also prophetically in terms of the church. Daniel never saw the church. The church was a mystery, so his eschatology pertains to tribulation and millennium, the eschatology of Israel. Still, I think it's... Uh, we can glean with mystery doctrine unveiled some applications here as well. All right. So Daniel 9, and he's uh, confessing the sins of his people. Daniel's got a real problem here in chapter 9 because um, <laughs> he, he, because he's a student of the Word of God. He studies the Bible. He has the copy of the book of Jeremiah. He might have even known Jeremiah in his childhood. Um, whatever the case is, he's been, he knows that the prophecy is that Israel is going to be in captivity for 70 years. And he's lived through that. Daniel's now an old man. They're approaching the end of that 70 years. Problem, though, is that Israel is just as, as wicked as they've ever been. <laughs> they, uh, they haven't repentant, repented. They haven't been humbled. The captivity has not uh, accomplished that for them. And so uh, he now has to pray and confess, and he takes it upon himself to confess the sins of an entire nation. And you can see that I won't read the whole chapter for you here, but you'll notice in verse 5, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. And so here they are. And he says, we have still not even repented to this day. And um, so he comes down here and he's wondering, how can we go back to the land? How is this going to work? Well, the encouragement that he gets is a prophecy, a powerful prophecy of the 70 weeks, the 77s. And he gets this uh, encouragement when Gabriel arrives. And uh, while he waits for, actually he's praying for three weeks, waiting for, uh, waiting for this answer to come. So uh, down to verse 20, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then Gabriel, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me 
in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now uh, come forth to give you insight, this is Sokal, insight with understanding. And so he's going to be given a timetable. He's going to be given a calendar. He's going to be given a prophecy. And there were a lot of a lot of Messiah, Messianic prophecies were given in terms of Bethlehem being the location of virgin birth, in terms of all kinds of things, the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. There was a lot of details, but no one was given the precision that Daniel was given, marking down to the day, marking down the, the 77s and the time frame here for Messiah the Prince to be cut off. And it's this kind of specificity then that's uh, described here in verse 22 as insight insight with understanding. All right, so we'll let the rest of that chapter go. Over to chapter 11. This insight becomes important. Verses 33 and 35. Daniel chapter 11 is a history the king of the north, the king of the south, the Seleucid uh, Greek kings from uh, Syria in the north, and the uh, Ptolemy uh, Egyptian Greek kings from the south, and all of the back and forth that happens here in this chapter. And the marvelous thing about it, of course, is that it's written ahead of time, and uh, it's given here as prophecy uh, to, da- to Daniel. And then uh, if you want to read about it in Maccabees, you want to read about it in Josephus, you can read uh, the history of this uh, in uh, after the fact. I prefer to read the, head of the, the, the story ahead of time. All right. And so in this chapter, there's a lot of back and forth, and uh, you can get the, the scorecard for this in the Daniel notebook out there in the hallway. But you're going to notice that there's uh, all this back and forth with king of the north, king of the south, king of the north, king of the south, king of the south, king of the north. And as you work your way through the history of, uh, of this... You reach a point here where uh, Antiochus Epiphanes is thwarted and he gets very angry about this. And so, um, (laughs) I will not read this entire chapter this morning, but I want to, I so badly want to. Um, Verse 29 says, at the appointed time he will return and come into the south, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before. It had some already some wars between. You remember, after Alexander the Great died, the Greek Empire was shattered. It was divided into four segments. All right, two of those four segments happened to neighbor Israel, and so the Syrians just to the north and Egypt just to the south. And so this is and when when they decided to go to war with each other, guess what? The Jews are in the middle. Jerusalem's in the middle, and so they were part of a big tug of war and part of a lot of conflict there. And uh, so you work your way through these kings. They're they're all Greek kings, but they're uh, they're in in uh, hostility against one another uh, in uh, in the years after Alexander. So um, now the the king from uh, 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 Antiochus is going south to attack Egypt again. Only this time he's got a problem. This time Egypt now has an alliance with the Romans. And that's what it says when it says ships of Kittim. And they will come against him. Therefore he will be disheartened and he will return and become enraged at the Holy Covenant and take action. 
And uh, the secular history on this is fascinating because the it's a it's a marvelous story <laughs> when uh, they're on the, the border ready to invade Egypt and and a Roman uh, senator shows up um, and uh, and says no <laughs> and uh, says if you wage war on Egypt you're waging war on Rome and this Roman senator I think his name was Linnaeus he um, he he was unarmed he's just wearing his Roman toga and and, and the marks of his authority. And Antiochus says, well, I need time to think about this. And Linnaeus says, I'll take all the time you want. But he draws a, uh, a sword and puts a circle in the sand around his feet, around Antiochus's feet, and uh, says, you know, take all the time you want, but you will make your decision before you step out of that circle. <laughs> and so he's humiliated this this uh, Antiochus was absolutely humiliated, and so he had to turn around and go back to the the, the north. And uh, on his way, he's gonna he's going to um, uh, inflict his wrath against the Jewish people, and that's what happens here. So um, it says in Daniel eleven and verse thirty, uh, he will uh, be disheartened. He will return and become enraged at the holy covenant and take action. So he will come back to show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And uh, and this is what he's going to do. Forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. And this is what Antiochus does. And uh, by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And this becomes a, a, a wonderful promise in the spite of all the, the judgment. When, when you have maximum apostasy in your land, it is the occasion for believers with doctrine to shine forth. Those who have insight and real heroes can stand up and say, the Word of God says this. And those who have insight among the people will give understanding. And this is, uh, this is beautiful. So in verse 32, the people who know their God will display strength and take action. They're going to be real heroes that arise. This is the, you know, the Maccabees uh, arise at this time and they, they fight a war and they win their independence. And the Pharisees, by the way, become a dominant party because of their, their knowledge of the Word of God and their love for the truth. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. Yet they will fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. They stand for truth and they pay a price, but they have a benefit as a remnant in their generation. I pray that we do too. As our nation gets insane, as our culture just loses it, as there's no more, I mean, it's, it's utter insanity now with, with uh, the whole transgender stuff. And, and I mean, they can't even figure out boys and girls anymore. And uh, those who have insight, we've got to stand for truth. And so that's verse 33. It's also mentioned in verse 35. Um, When they fall, they will be granted a little help. Many will join with them in hypocrisy. Some of those who have insight will fall in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end of time because it is still to come at the appointed time. And all of this abomination that Antiochus does, that's just a sample. That is a foreshadowing of the abomination Antichrist will do in the coming tribulation. And all that sets the table for Antichrist in verse 36 and following. All right, so there's insight. 
Daniel also mentions this insight in chapter 12, verse 3 and verse 10. So when we talk about the great tribulation, Daniel 12, 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince, we call him the archangel, who stands guard over your sons of your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. The tribulation is going to make that Antiochus Epiphanes uh, abomination seem like nothing. It's going to make the Nazi Holocaust seem like nothing. It's going to make everything Israel's ever gone before seem like nothing since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be saved. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight, this is a promise for the coming tribulation. There's going to be 144,000 faithful evangelists. There's going to be believers with doctrine that get saved after the rapture. They get saved. They get saturated with the Word of God very quickly. And uh, they're the ones that are going to pay the price when, uh, when it comes to Antichrist and whether they take the mark of the beast or not. And uh, the, the, the price they pay to not take the mark of the beast is, uh, becomes an issue. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And I'm taking the time to share all this because this is the application of Proverbs 16 is that you are the one with the insight. You're the ones with the water of life. You're the ones with the words that are sweet as honey. You're the ones because you're in the Word of God, you can communicate to others what they need in their time of trouble. And so it's described here. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words, seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth. Knowledge will increase. Some people think that's a prophecy of our day and age, that we have maximum uh, uh, global travel and maximum global communication unlike any this world has ever seen. Uh, The final use here in this chapter is down to verse 10. Uh, Verse 9, go your way, Daniel. (laughs) Daniel had so many questions. Uh, In verse 8, as for me, I heard, could not understand, so I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Daniel was that kid in class that never stopped asking questions. You know, and he kept raising his hand, he kept raising his hand. He got one more question, he got one more question. And the rest of you just want to go to recess. You want to go to lunch. Say, come on, no more questions, let's go. And, uh, and here's Daniel, oh, one more question, one more, one more question. And the Lord says, that's enough. Go your way, Daniel. These words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. There's mystery doctrine he's not able to receive. Many will be purged, purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. So we want to gain this insight. With our uh, wisdom, we want to gain understanding. We want to gain insight. We want to recognize that having insight can put us into some pretty hostile territory in, uh, in the conflict of what we deal with. All right. So that's the verb. That's the verb, sakal. The noun, sekel. Uh, you might expect, is used in similar ways. We already saw uh, Nehemiah 8.8 when we were looking at Nehemiah 8.13. We did not yet see 1 Samuel 25.3. 
And um, talking about Nabal and his wife. Uh, the man's name was Nabal, his wife's name was Abigail, and the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. So that's First Samuel 25, 3. And uh, intelligent. She had insight. She had success. All right, then the rest of these are all in Proverbs. And we've already studied, dealt with this in Proverbs 3, 4. And since I'm prone to amnesia, it doesn't hurt to read the verse again. <laughs> the, um, the blessings of what God provides here I got the wrong verse. Well, oh, there it is. Good repute. You will find favor and understanding or insight in the sight of God and man. That's Proverbs 3 4. All right. So you will find favor and good repute, insight. What a terrible translation. All right. Uh, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor. That's grace in, in uh, the Old Testament. You will find favor and insight or success in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. I mean, here's recipe for life success right here. Here's what every parent needs to instruct every child. And I tell you, it doesn't matter if, if uh, your son's a doctor or a lawyer or whatever he's doing, whatever his career is, whatever his life is. If he's in the Word of God, he's a, he's a success. If he's humble before the, law, the Lord and walking by faith, he's a success. And this is what the Lord has. And so we can, uh, we can rejoice in that. Proverbs 12, 8. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. What is it a man will be praised for? And when does this happen, by the way? You know, it doesn't happen this day and age. In, uh, you know, all the things that get praised, I think... Um, you know, we got the Academy Awards coming up and the Oscars, and, and uh, I don't think any of the praise that's going to come there is going to be given to any person based upon their inside of the Word of God. Maybe I'm wrong. All right. Uh, they just voted on the, the, the 2019 inductees to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and, uh, and I'm pleased as anything that Edgar Martinez was voted in, and he'll be inducted in, in July. That's marvelous. Uh, it's a law. It's actually overdue. He should have been voted in a long time ago, uh, but when he was not voted in for his insight into the Word of God, he was voted in for his home runs and his doubles and his triples and the uh, the batting, accomplished, the greatest designated his hitter in the history of Major League Baseball, and finally he received the Hall of Fame recognition that he was uh, entitled to. My mother would be thrilled if she was still here, still here to see that today. But what is it that gets praised? What is it gets praised in society? What, what is it that gets praised 
Uh, it says, a man will be praised according to his insight. Oh, to live in a culture where believers with insight are the celebrities of a nation, of a city, of a, of a place. Well, that's going to be the truth in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ and for the thousand generations of the fullness of time. So that's Proverbs 12.8. Proverbs 13.15. Good understanding produces favor. So this insight, this success in doctrine produces favor, grace. But the way of the treacherous is hard. Proverbs 16.22. That's our verse today. We have verse 20 and 22. So in verse 20, we have the verb, and in verse 22, we have the noun. Understanding or insight is a fountain of life to the one who has it. But the discipline of fools is folly. 1911. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 19.11 Discretion is the word seckle there. Insight. Having the insight to not say what shouldn't be said at this moment. (laughs) That's the discretion. It's an insight. And then finally, 23.9. Proverbs 23.9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the insight, the suckle of your words. All right, so this is what we're looking at. Um, we'll come back next week. He who has insight to the word will find good. He who gives attention to the word will find good. And happy is he who trusts in the Lord. We'll we'll describe for you the secret of life happiness. It's the walk of faith. Walking by faith produces the happiness in the word of God. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth and faithfulness. I thank you for the blessing we have to study to show ourselves approved. I pray we would uh, glean these principles that we would recognize where our success in life comes from, where our happiness in life comes from, that we never lose our appetite. Father, I believe um, within this flock, Father, we've got folks with diminished appetite. And I pray that you would um, fan those flames. I pray that you would stoke that appetite. I pray that you would increase the insight and, uh, and provide abundant uh, uh, growth in the Word of God. And uh, just thank you and praise you, Father, for how faithful you are to do this. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.